Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. So what was the number one traveler complaint filed last year at the U.S. Department of Transportation? And it won by an overwhelming margin of 82%. It was refunds, or the inability of folks to get them on airline flights that were canceled during the pandemic. Some airlines ultimately responded by offering credit vouchers, and that amounted to about $10 billion worth. But who's holding those vouchers, and can they really be used? Worse, how many have expired? The U.S. Department of Transportation has yet to take an enforcement action. But in the meantime, two U.S. Senators have written to the presidents of all U.S. airlines demanding that they refund the passengers' money. Joining me this week are those two Senators, Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. And then, Scott McCartney, the travel editor for the Wall Street Journal, talks with me about the latest mask rules and the real impact on the travel industry. And then... A crazy story. Is American Airlines about to put you on the scales? That's right. Are they about to weigh you? Gary Leff, the founder of ViewFromTheWing.com, has the uh, skinny. First up, Senators Markey and Blumenthal. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Forgetting what the CDC just announced in terms of where you can wear masks and where you can't, 
and the confusion and chaos that they may that may ensue, there's another issue that's been with us for over 14 months, and that is the airlines holding an estimated 10 billion dollars in passenger money that should have, in, in good faith, been refunded to them when their trips were canceled because of the pandemic. Some airlines behaved better than others. Other airlines didn't behave well at all and ignored existing U.S. Department of Transportation rules. And let me remind everybody what those rules say, that if your airline cancels your flight, then you're entitled to a full refund back to your original form of purchase, even if you bought a so-called non-refundable ticket. Then there were the passengers who, in good faith, canceled anyway because they knew they couldn't go because the countries that they wanted to go to were closed or the states had quarantine rules and the airline still refused to give them a refund. In fact, they gave them uh, credit vouchers and that's another issue. Well, uh, recently, two senators, Senator Edward Markey and Richard Blumenthal, Senator Markey from Massachusetts and Blumenthal from Connecticut, wrote letters to the CEOs of every airline saying, guys, give the people back their money. I'd love to know what the follow-up to that is and whether or not anybody ever answered their letter or letters. And joining me now, the Honorable Senator from Massachusetts, Edward Markey. Senator, good afternoon. No, great to be with you. Thank you. So I know why you wrote the letter. Did anybody answer? Uh, well, we're still waiting, and, uh, and, but we're, we're going to get the answers because you just laid out perfectly what has happened. You know, the coronavirus pandemic has created unprecedented challenges for air travelers whose plans have been disrupted by health concerns, government travel bans, closed borders. And so that's why uh, Senator Blumenthal and I are calling on the major airlines to issue cash refunds for all flight cancellations related to the pandemic because consumers need their cash back during these challenging times. And if they're not going to give back the cash, the least that they should do is to have a voucher which can be used whenever passengers want to use it. If they don't want to buy this year or next year, they should be able to use that voucher whenever they want to in the indefinite future. And that's the other point I have to make that you just made, but I'm going to expand on that. And that is, you know, pre-pandemic or even during the pandemic, if an airline issued you a credit voucher, for whatever reason, it usually had a validity of a year. But it wasn't a year from when they issued the voucher. It was a year from when you purchased the ticket. And when so many people were purchasing tickets five and six months ahead, that meant the voucher they got only had a validity of maybe five more months during the middle of a pandemic. It was worthless, right? Right. So so the... And actually, an unconscionable decision. The airlines largely refused to give cash refunds. And instead, they added insult to injury by offering temporary travel credits with expiration dates. And even though the pandemic is not over, some travelers are discovering that their flight credits have already expired or may expire before they feel, the passenger feels safe to fly again. And so these consumers are now at risk of losing the money they were forced to effectively loan to the airline industry. And the airline industry deserves no credit if these credits aren't protected because first they refused to give the consumers the refunds when they needed it the most, and now they want to leave the consumers holding worthless credits. Uh, There should be no expiration date for consumer 
protection. So really what you're saying is we're going through bad gift card hell. Honestly, it's a beautiful scam they've got going, and you already mentioned it. Um, just the four biggest airlines had $10 billion in unused travel credits on their books at the end of 2020. So that's a nice little bonus for the airlines. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to fly people. And you still made $10 bucks because the passengers uh, are just uh, out of luck because they weren't willing to get back on planes at the height of a pandemic. So now, having laid out that case, what makes you think it's going to get resolved? Um, well, what we're proposing is that uh, the airlines do right by the consumers. Uh, yesterday was the busiest day of air travel of this pandemic. More than 1.7 million people checked by uh, TSA. So we know that consumers are going to start paying attention to flight costs and charges. And, and so we're going to continue to pressure airlines to do the right thing. And this is going to become a higher and higher profile issue uh, as consumers start to realize that they have lost hundreds or thousands of dollars. And so uh, we, uh, we just have to make sure uh, that we uh, continue to elevate this issue. And if they, that is, if the airlines don't want to do the right thing, um, the easy way, then we're going to make it uh, hard for them because we're going to do it the hard way through introducing legislation in Congress uh, to mandate uh, that there be no expiration date on these, uh, on these flight vouchers which passengers have. You know, I go back to the role of the U.S. Department of Transportation in this because there's already an existing rule in the books uh, when the airlines cancel flights that requires them to make the refund. We have so many foreign carriers that refuse to even honor that. And that, by the way, applies to foreign carriers that fly to and through the United States. One of the biggest offending airlines was were the Canadian airlines. And the Canadian airlines then went to their government to get another bailout. And thankfully for the Canadian government, they said to the airlines, okay, we're going to give you the money on the condition that you actually refund the existing money that you've been holding. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you're right on because the federal government, as part of these bailout packages, have given billions of dollars to the airlines from the American taxpayers uh, to keep them solvent. But in turn, the airlines can't use passengers and they're already purchased tickets as another piggy bank because those families also need help. They need their money back so they can take care of their families. So if they're going to keep it, then the least they can do is make it a voucher and allow the passenger to be able to choose a time when they feel comfortable with their families to get back on a plane. And it may not be in 2021. It may be in 2022. But the airline should just accede to the, the fundamental justice. Um, of giving these families the ability uh, to be able to not have lost these hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not their fault. And the airlines already benefited from federal taxpayer money. They should not punish these passengers. And, Senator, let me go one step further, if I may, and get your opinion on this. These vouchers should be transferable because there are so many people who had specific weddings to go to or dates with families that have long since passed and they may not have any use for that for that for that ticket anymore, but they don't want to lose their money. They should be able to, be, like a gift card, to be able to give it to somebody else. 
Absolutely. So many people, you know, were planning on taking a vacation to uh, one particular location that year for a particular purpose, and that purpose is now gone. But it doesn't mean uh, that the passenger and their families might not want to go on another vacation with that very same voucher. And it shouldn't be uh, the discretion of the airline to decide when the passenger and the family get to use it. It should be that passenger. And that's only basically fundamental fairness uh, to these uh, individual families uh, who have been victimized just as much uh, as the airline. But they shouldn't be allowed to be re-victimized because of the greed of these airlines. Listen, we're going to stay on top of this because there's, you know, there's legislation, there's rulemaking uh, at the DOT level, but this needs to get resolved. $10 billion is not lunch money. No, this is an incredible little gift that the, um, an incredible little gift card that the, uh, that the uh, airlines have given themselves, but it's at the expense uh, of uh, American uh, traveling public. Uh, who should not have to have lost $10 billion uh, because of the greed of the airline. We're now joined by the senator from Connecticut, the Honorable Richard Blumenthal. Senator, welcome. Thank you so much, Peter. What we're fighting here, by the way, just to make use of your introduction, is almost criminal. So partners in crime, it's sort of the reverse. We're fighting the (laughs) almost criminal behavior of these airlines by failing to extend the credit for trips that passengers didn't use. Well, let's get into that, because where does it say in the regulations that I'm I'm required to give uh, travel providers an interest-free loan? How about that? What you're talking about here is, you know, you've heard of highway robbery. The airlines here are doing airway robbery because, as a matter of fundamental fairness, if you don't use the service, you should get your money back. That's what we asked the airlines to do initially, make cash refunds. There is no regulation or law requiring them to do so. That's why we introduced legislation. But if they have any caring or compassion or a sense of fairness, That's what they should have done. And now what they're doing is, after guaranteeing that credits could be applied against future flights, they are enforcing expiration dates on those credits without the customer really knowing even that it's happening. Yeah, there's another little catch to all this, and that is even pre-pandemic, if the airline was going to issue you a voucher for any reason whatsoever, it had a validity more or less of a year. However, the clock started ticking on that year's uh, validity from the time you bought the ticket, not from the time the flight was canceled. And in many cases, people buy their tickets four and five months in advance. So it's not even a year long. It may only be six or seven months. And often the airlines are the ones canceling flights during this pandemic. They are the ones responsible for the non-service. And yet now they are canceling the vouchers and credits through no fault, absolutely no fault of the consumer. So the the added injustice here is, Peter, the United States of America, we as taxpayers, have accorded these airlines more than $50 billion 
to cover their payrolls during this period. And many of them have taken loans for other costs. So they are really duty-bound morally, if not legally, to do better by consumers. And the rules are so complex, and they differ from one airline to another. And so much a matter of fine print and small detail that really what they ought to be doing is what's right here and giving everybody the benefit of the voucher of credit, unlimited period of time, or cash refund. Well, you know, I go back to the days of uh, uh, rulemaking versus legislation, and you'll remember the famous tarmac delay rules um, that were tried to do as legislation. And, of course, in, in many states they were overturned because of deregulation, not allowing for states to control airlines. But the U.S. Department of Transportation made a rule that said if an airline kept you essentially hostage on the tarmac for more than three hours in a weather situation and didn't return you to the gate – the airline was then liable to a fine of $27,500 per passenger. And the airlines all screamed that this was wrong and they couldn't do it. Well, guess what? Uh, they did it. And there were no, I mean, I think maybe two tarmac delays in a year because nobody wanted to, to face those consequences. So the answer is they can do it if you do rulemaking. And Senator, you mentioned, you know, there was no rule requiring the airlines to do it. Well, there's no rule requiring the airlines to do it if you cancel the flight. But if the airline cancels the flight, there's a DOT rule that's been on the books for a long time saying that they you are entitled to a full refund, no matter what you paid for your ticket, even if it was a non-refundable ticket. So I'm also looking to see if the U.S. Department of Transportation will take an enforcement action here. And that is absolutely a key point, Peter. If the airlines are the ones canceling the flight, they have a legal as well as a moral duty. And frankly, our next step will probably be to urge the Department of Transportation to take more aggressive action. But in the meantime, these airlines can do the right thing. Some have, United and American, have extended expiration dates for some credits into 2022, but some airlines haven't extended either the expiration dates or the credits issued before the pandemic. And that's why we are urging them to take action on their own and saying, we want to push forward with legislation that will give them not only the credits and vouchers, but also cash refunds. You know, there are some airlines that have done another thing, which which sounds good until you begin to interpret it. They've said, okay, we owe you, let's say, $500 in a voucher, which is about to expire. We'll give you that in the equivalent of frequent flyer miles. But then it goes from you owning the voucher to the airline owning the miles. That doesn't necessarily benefit you, and it doesn't get you your money back. Absolutely right. It takes choice away from the consumer. It takes the right usage and ownership away from the customer who has paid good money for exactly. the flight. I've seen so many pieces of legislation that I, I absolutely support as a, as a traveler, uh, many of which you, you've either uh, authored or co-sponsored. And the real question is, can they actually get to the president's desk and get signed? And this is not just this year. I go back to uh, one that wasn't yours, but it was uh, Representative Steve Cohen of Tennessee uh, forbidding airlines from imposing Ridiculous Fees Act, uh, one that you introduced, which is near and dear to me because I covered that story, the Restoring Aviation Accountability Act, about who really does the regulation and the inspection on planes like the 737 MAX. Whatever happened to that bill? Did it, did it ever see the light of day? The bill wasn't passed during the last session. And by the way, thanks for your excellent reporting. 
on those outrageous fees and on many other consumer abuses by the airlines and other means of travel. But we're going to be reintroducing it. And my hope is that we have a much better chance this time. Number one, people are returning to travel, and so they're really thinking about these issues. Number two, frankly, Democrats now have control of the Senate, as we do of the House, and a president who supports consumer rights. And number three, I think the public is more and more aware of these issues, and they should be bipartisan. It really should be uh, a matter of agreement between us across the aisle, and I'm I'm going to be pressing for more agreement. I mean, when you think about it, the actual process of travel transcends politics. It we all share the same airplane cabin, we all share the same, you know, experience. We should all basically be united in something that makes sense. And we're all harmed when we're denied cash refunds for flights that the airlines cancel, or outrageous fees or seats that are too narrow and therefore may cause circulatory problems, not to mention discomfort. All of the abuses that airlines all too often are responsible for imposing and inflicting on consumers, all of us share, no matter what our political persuasion, no matter what our political party, and we're traveling between red states and blue states. So the airports in red states and blue states are going to affect all of us, which is why another area that I think deserves attention is investment in infrastructure. You know, our airports, uh, LaGuardia is only uh, a massive example of it, need rebuilding and investment. And so our airports, in fact, our ports, all of our traveling facilities need that infrastructure investment, not to mention our roads, bridges, and rail. And, you know, it's interesting. I remember when Senator Biden and then later Vice President Biden said LaGuardia was a third world airport, which in many cases insulted a lot of third world airports. <laughs> uh, I mean, I remember that. It, it's, uh, But, you know, recently, and we just talked to Senator Markey about this, the letters that you sent to the airline CEOs about th- this refund issue, uh, those were letters. But last year in May, a year ago, you guys introduced a bill uh, along with uh, with Senator Warren, called the Cash Refunds for Coronavirus Cancellations Act. I'm assuming that didn't get passed. That never was passed. Remember, it was a Senate controlled by Mitch McConnell as majority leader, the Republican majority then in control. We have a different political picture now. I'm not guaranteeing or even predicting that this legislation will be passed this year, because maybe the airlines will just do the right thing, and we won't need it. That's what we're urging the airlines now to do, make the cash refund, or at the very least, extend the expiration dates of the vouchers and the credit. Do the right thing for consumers, since you have received from them as taxpayers tens of billions of dollars, more than $50 billion in outright grants and even more in loans. You owe it to the nation to do the right thing, and maybe we can avoid compulsory actions through legislation. My thanks to Senators Markey and Blumenthal. So what will the new mask guidance from the CDC really mean to you? Does being vaccinated suddenly translate into being liberated? Scott McCartney from the Wall Street Journal has a few important thoughts on this. 
Uh, the CDC announcement that if you are fully vaccinated, you may not have to wear a mask indoors, outdoors, under the covers. I mean, it's crazy to see how this is going to gonna you know lay out there. And when I need context and perspective on stuff like this, my direct go-to guy is one of our regulars on our PBS show, The Travel Detective, as he is on this show, Eye on Travel. He's the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, Scott McCartney. Scott, are you wearing a mask right now? Uh, I am not wearing a mask right now, Peter, but I am fully vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> Which means what now? What are you going to do? Well, according to the CDC, it means I, I have my invisibility cloak. Um, uh, uh, it, it means, and you know, there's. A, I actually uh, actually had a breakfast with a friend this morning who, who was saying exactly that. Vaccinated, um, felt like he was at no risk uh, for for catching COVID. Even if he did, it wouldn't be severe. Uh, so he didn't see any point at all in wearing a mask. And I think as as you do, I think this presents a, a huge challenge to the travel industry um, of, uh, you know, distinguishing between vaccinated and non-vaccinated people um, and uh, providing comfort to people who are nervous about it. Uh, so do you, do you continue to require people to wear masks? And then you're going to have all kinds of confrontations over that. Um, and what do you do if you're a cruise line and, you know, want to start sailing again? Um, this is in some ways, um, I think is a, is a setback for the travel industry. Um, because they're, you know, we're just sort of settling into the, the clear rules of you got to wear a mask. And the CDC rules for lifting that conditional sale order for the cruise lines was saying, you know, you know, even if the passengers are vaccinated, they have to wear a mask everywhere they go on the ship. They have to wear a mask on the deck. They have to wear a mask in their cabin. They have to wear, I mean, it's like, now what are you going to do? I mean, they're, yeah. they're going to. I mean, everybody's going to have a different definition now. I mean, and in a country that prides itself on litigation, wow! <laughs> see you in court. Yeah, no, it's, you know, we we just went through a period of, of some really serious altercations on board airplanes. And, and airplanes are, you know, with with a lot of issues in society, the airplane is where it comes to a head, right? And, uh, and, and so I think you're going to see um, more and more confrontations, um, um, not just between passengers and flight attendants, um, but um, also between passengers and other passengers. I agree. And, and remember, under the new CDC announcement from you know, earlier this week, it doesn't apply to uh, public transportation. It doesn't apply to airlines or airports. And yet, who's going to make that distinction with, you know, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you. Get ready for some fights. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you can you could sit there and say, uh, you know, mask, mask is required, mask is required by, by the airline, mask is required by the FAA, mask is and And, you know, there are going to be plenty of people who say, hey, I heard the CDC doesn't require masks anymore because I'm vaccinated. And you're also going to have people who claim they're vaccinated but aren't vaccinated. Um, and uh, you know the the government um, the government sort of uh, botched the job of keeping track of who's vaccinated or not. Handed you a a, a card that that we've all seen that um, you know doesn't 
doesn't fit in a wallet, is easily duplicated, uh, doesn't, uh, there's absolutely no security to it at all. Uh, and so, um, y- you know, it's where we are all in limbo, I think. And, uh, and I do think it's a real problem um, for the travel industry because um, so many things, you know, so many people are going to challenge the rules here. And everybody's going to hum- come up with their own set of rules based on whether you're going to the dry cleaner or getting on an airline or going to the grocery store. Because right now, if I finish the show and I go to a grocery store right now and I don't wear a mask, someone's going to stop me and say, you need to put on your mask. And I'm going to say, no, I don't. And yeah. it's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. The the pickup and uh, the cleanup in aisle four is going to be a big mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know it's it's sort of fascinating because I think the CDC has botched the mask policy from the beginning, right? Uh, it, it was uh, oh, we don't need to wear masks, and then we do need to wear masks, and um, and 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 that had public health implications for um, for for the American population, uh, and I think um, you know I just I just hope that. Uh, there is enough vaccination out there that that uh, it doesn't um, spark some kind of um, resurgence of infection, um, and and we'll all get through this. I hope so because everything is topsy turvy right now. One of the other stories that you did, which I've been following, I actually priced today the cost of a rental car <laughs> in Florida. It was a small Kia, the one day rental. Uh, and I have to put this in even more perspective, was $441. It did not include a mileage because they had a mileage cap on it. It did not include a drop-off charge. And guess what they wanted to charge me if they refueled the car when I brought it back? Want to guess? <laughs> uh, $5 a gallon? 11 <laughs> So That's it's wonderful. crazy, and, and we're seeing this all over the country. And I'm telling yeah. everybody right now, if you're planning a summer trip and the trip is under 500 miles, take your own car. This is not about flying and picking up the car at the airport. It's going to it's it's expensive because if you let's go back to that $441 estimate. It's an estimate. We only go up from there, right? There's a mileage cap, they probably only give you 100 miles a day. Uh that goes by very quickly and then it's something like 35 cents a mile. Let's do the math on that and there's a drop-off charge if you're dropping it off somewhere else now. And, of course, we talked about the $11 gallon refueling charge. It's nuts. Yeah, Scott, and I, th- I think there's more to it than that because you, you know at $440 for a Kia, you, you know they are overbooked. The supply is extremely tight. And, and so there's a huge risk that you're going to get there and there are going to be no cars on the lot. And you say, yes, but I have a reservation. And and they say yes, but we have no cars, and so there have been lines of people waiting at the rental car place for for other renters to drive the car back onto the lot and immediately turn it around, you know, clean it, fuel it, and and send it out again. And people standing there waiting for the keys to come back. Uh, it's um, it, it really is a tough situation. The rental rental car companies sold off a huge chunk of their fleet to survive the pandemic. Uh, you know, nobody was renting them. Uh, they had the unusual situation of um, this huge downturn, and yet used car prices were really strong. 
so they could do well selling the cars, and they did. And now they they have real trouble buying cars, period, um, because of chip shortages and manufacturing slowdowns and uh, just the overall demand of a lot of people wanting cars. So um, renting a car, even when you have a reservation, uh, you, you've got to plan ahead. You're going to have to plan in hours, perhaps, to, um, to sit there waiting for a car. Or you could do what they're doing in Hawaii now. They're renting U-Hauls. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend who did that. that you know, there, there have been some people I've heard from who, who uh, decided it had some flight problems, too, and decided to, to take the car and, and turn it into a one-way rental and, and drive home. And, boy, they got a lot of pushback from rental car companies about that. Uh, especially if you're going to take a car out of Florida or someplace uh, where where there's huge demand, um, uh, it's a it's it's becoming a big no-no. And it's not going to be solved anytime soon because they haven't shipped in any new cars. And if you happen to be in Hawaii, that means shipping new cars. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we got to wait, and so uh, we got to be creative here for at least the next four or five months until that can be stabilized again. But talk about a crazy situation. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. You know, it's, we just celebrated, the, if you want to use the word celebration, I guess it's okay, the 40th anniversary of the airline frequent flyer programs started back in May of 19, 1981 mm-hmm. <laughs> by, by American and followed very quickly by just about everybody else on the planet. Um, they were loyalty programs to reward you for your loyalty to one particular airline. I challenge many of my listeners to tell me the truth about how many airline programs they're members of, all of you loyal members. Uh, but forgetting all that, we're all addicted to the mileage programs. We're all mileage junkies. But in recent years, it got tougher to earn them and even tougher to redeem them. And now, you know, up until maybe earlier this week with that CDC announcement on the on the masks, we weren't flying a lot. And all the perks that we're supposed to be getting us uh, or things we could redeem, we weren't redeeming. So the airlines, in some cases, had to really pivot and reevaluate the programs because at the end of the day, Let's be honest, the airlines could arguably say, or at least admit, that they make more money from their frequent flyer programs than they do operating as airlines. Remember, American Airlines basically valued their own Advantage program at something like $30 billion, and they were able to mortgage about $10 billion out of that to keep going. So you know how much money we're talking about. Scott, what are they doing to keep me happy? Uh, they are trying to get you, uh, trying to make it easier for you to hang on to your status. Um, because, you know, a lot of the value in, in these programs right now is, is status. That's what keeps people hooked, um, not so much the, the miles or the points themselves anymore, um, but the perks you get, um, early boarding, baggage claim, upgrades, um, you know, just uh, special lines to call when things go bad. Uh, and just uh, the overall 
uh, cachet of um, being a special customer, as it were. Um, and, and people, um, because they're not flying, aren't going to requalify. And, th- and that means they're free agents. That means, you know, once you lose your status, you're free to go anywhere. And it may be that you'll go to a, a different airline. So the airlines have, um, uh, and towards the, the beginning of the year, started giving bonuses um, to uh, elite-level flyers so that uh, make it easier to qualify for status. Uh, some have allowed credit card spending to count towards your status. Some are giving, um, have, have lowered the thresholds um, that you have to meet uh, for getting status. And, and all of them told me that, that more is coming um, because they haven't done enough yet. People aren't traveling enough. There's just not enough business travel out there. And so they know they're going to have to do more to sweeten the pot, to keep people in those elite tiers, uh, even though there's, there's going to be a lot of movement. There will be some people who will lose status. There will be some people who will gain status because uh, it's easier, and they're making multiple trips to Tampa, Florida, or wherever. Um, uh, but nobody's you know buying business class tickets to go to Europe um, uh, twice a month, and uh, and. Those are the best customers that airlines are in danger of losing. And, of course, you can always play the game where you call one airline and say, hey, if you'll you know, match my status that I have on, on this current airline, I'll, I'll move to you. And then you call the third airline asking them to match the status on the second. Next thing you know, you're at the high tier on all three, even if you haven't left your chair. Yeah, I think, I think that's a strategy for people to consider when they do start flying. Um, because those matches usually come with requirements for, uh, you know, hey, you got to make six trips in the next 90 days or, or that kind of thing. Um, it's a much lower threshold, uh, but you have to have to be in a position where you are going to make trips in the next 90 days. Um, so, you know, if you're not traveling now, now may not be the time to call and get a status match. Uh, but if you think you're going to be traveling this fall, then, you know, maybe towards the end of the summer when you want to play that card. And then there's, of course, the area of redemption. And that is, for the first time in my recent memory, if you have a lot of frequent flyer miles sitting around, get out the calendar, look out almost 330 days out, and you may find not only the flight you want to the destination you always wanted to go to, but the seat that you wanted, and the redemption level may actually have come down. Yeah, uh, and and this is another fascinating sort of post-pandemic development um, where uh, airlines realize that that their customers are sitting on a huge stash of miles. Um, right? We we have continued to use our airline-related credit cards in the pandemic, um, and and airlines take that as a as a great sign, by the way, that people are going to want to travel. Right. Um, uh, people could have easily said, you know, why am I collecting miles for, from my credit card? I should be getting something else. Um, but people still want miles. They're going to use miles. So there's, a, there's just a, a flood of miles out there. And, and to get people traveling again, airlines are offering sales on frequent flyer tickets, um, uh, uh, lowering the price, um, making it easier to, you know, do – uh, put together a couple one-way tickets, and and you're right about international travel because bookings are so low. And if you you know assume that next year uh, we're going to be making international trips, um, 
I think it. I think it's a really good time to I book. Agree. My thanks to Scott. All right, tell the truth. You lie about your weight, or at least most of you do. But is one airline about to put you on the scales before you fly? What's that all about? Gary Left, founder of ViewFromTheWing.com, weighs in. I'm one of those guys who doesn't always make reservations online. I actually like to have a conversation because what they're looking at at their screen, it may be different than what you're seeing on yours. Uh, they have a better chance of looking at additional inventory, et cetera, et cetera. So let me set it up for you. Uh, I call Delta Airlines to make a reservation to go from point A to point B. I'm calling to give them my credit card to give them my money to buy a ticket on their airline. And in the interest of full disclosure, I'm one of their mega million miler guys. So I have a number I can call that gets you to the mega million miler person or persons. So I pick up the phone. And by the way, I did not call them on a Monday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, which might be a high volume time, or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I called them on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. And what I heard was the wait time for the mega million milers was three hours. And if I gave them my name and my number, they would call me back. I wouldn't have to hold for three hours. Wasn't that considerate? So it's about to get even crazier. So I did it. And I gave them my cell phone because I'd be running around. Well, three hours later, uh, they called back. And how can I help you, they say. Well, I said, let me give you my frequent flyer number, uh, which you may or may not have. I'd like to make a reservation to go from point A to point B um, and tell me how much it is and I'll give you my credit card. They start asking me a series of security questions that I can't answer because I never knew what they wanted in the first place. And I said, by the way, I'm not trying to out the guy, but I got I to gotta call it what it is. His name was Dodd. So if Dodd's listening, I told you I was going to talk about this, Dodd. So I finally said, why are you asking me these questions? I'm not asking you to give me money. I'm trying to give you money. And he didn't have, he said, it's just our policy. I said, okay, Dodd, what's your last name? He said, I'm not allowed to tell you. I said, well, that's my policy, Dodd. If you don't give me your last name, we're going to have to take this up a step higher. He said, let me call my supervisor. I said, why are you going to ask your supervisor? What question could you possibly ask your supervisor? You have a client of the airline calling to give you his credit card to purchase a ticket. We're not nuclear physics here. He called the supervisor anyway. And the supervisor allowed him to book my ticket, but I couldn't give him my mileage number because uh, they didn't know who I was. Is this nuts? Well, joining me now, our good friend Gary <laughs> Gary Left, the founder of ViewFromTheWing.com, who just did a piece about people who were waiting online from Delta for 41 hours. Gary, what is going on? So, Peter, first of all, you're lucky that you only had to wait for three hours. You're lucky that when they called you back, there was a person there instead of making you wait another half an hour after they called you back to talk to someone. Um, when I wrote about 41-hour hold times, that wasn't for their infrequent flyers. That was for Diamond members oh who are spend, you know, flying 125,000 miles a year with the airline. They're spending big money. 
and the airline just isn't able to talk to them. Now, uh, Delta says they are hiring more people. But look, this is something that's been going on for months. Delta says that they are you know, trying to improve their website so you can do th- more things yourself. Um, you know, look, you got, if you want to make a change to some tickets or cancel some itineraries, you're having to pick up the phone and talk to a person and there's just no one to talk to much of the time. I will say that there are a few things that people can do. Um, one of them is you can try dialing a, uh, non-U.S. call center. So sometimes you'll get much, much shorter hold times if you call up Delta in Singapore. Uh, I, uh, this works for Almost all the airlines that have global presences have call centers elsewhere in the world uh, where English is a primary language, and they don't get backed up the same way that they would here in the States, for instance, when there's you know bad weather, a lot of flight cancellations, everyone calling the U.S. number, they're not calling the Singapore number. You, know, you can sometimes get help from uh, the airline on Twitter. Uh, direct messaging them helps. They can look into your reservation and make changes on your requests. I think we're actually going back to the old days pre-pandemic. Uh, I saw American Airlines putting baggage sizers at counters and at gates to charge uh, revenue for checking bags again uh, if they don't fit into the sizers. Um, I'm seeing some other new charges coming around with different names but doing the exact same thing that they said they weren't going to do before. And now... Uh, the story that caught my eye, American Airlines about to weigh their passengers. Please explain, Gary. Okay, so airlines have to make note of the weight on board an aircraft, and that's all the people. It's all the items on board. It's the seats and the, you know all the equipment. Um, it's the, the bags and the people. And... You know, that is for, you know, safety. There's maximum takeoff weights. They have to make sure the aircraft is in balance. There are fuel requirements. And so what the FAA is saying is to all the airlines is we've got to update this data. You know, look, Americans have gotten bigger. Um, You know, using old data just doesn't necessarily work and isn't accurate anymore. And we can use averages when we're talking about a lot of passengers on a big plane. But the FAA has said for smaller planes, first of all, for planes under 30 seats, but then for planes even up to 70, you know, they want airlines to make a determination about whether this is necessary. They want to get you know, much more granular data, and they've outlined a whole bunch of ways that airlines can do that, including literally weighing everyone as they board. Uh, or asking well, I, I have another idea. As they board. But I have another idea. Everybody's in Tell denial. Me. The average FAA weight for passenger, which has been on the books for years, I think it's something like 150 pounds. That's that's garbage to begin with. Have you seen Americans? Okay, that's number one. <laughs> so so why don't we just be honest and take that average and just bump it up to 200 pounds per passenger? Some will be more, some will be less, but it will actually average out then. 150, you're asking for trouble. Well, so the, the CDC has you know, updated data, and they have a good idea of what Americans weigh today, and they think that works pretty good on a big plane. But on a small plane, you can have greater variance, and so they want to actually go through an exercise of testing it. And some routes may have heavier passengers and lighter passengers, and it may vary at time of year. And we gain a little bit of weight in the winter, but we also wear a lot heavier clothes in the winter. So it's about you know, taking samples uh, and testing some passengers uh, if not everyone, uh, and they want the airlines to be updating this stuff 
like every 18 months. This will be interesting because you know what's going to happen. The airlines will then stand, you know, use the FAA as an excuse for charging people overweight for their weight. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's coming. You know, I'm hey, sorry, you know, Mrs. Jones, I'm but I'm that's an additional $75 <laughs> because you're looking a little large today. I'm not a spelt guy, and, you know, the, the, the uh, heavier we are, the more fuel we burn. So, you know, we we could certainly – there actually was um, a couple of airlines in, in the past who have charged uh, by passenger weight. That never really caught on. It's not a very customer-friendly way to uh, to do business. Well, because when it comes to everybody's weight, we're all in denial anyway. We lie to ourselves, and then we lie to everybody else. So you're going to get on the a FAA scale. The has a procedure for that. So, you know, one of the options is to ask passengers their weight, and then they have training of gate agents to identify when passengers are lying and use their own <laughs> estimates instead. Talk about a delay it's at the, the gate. Documentation. I am not 192. I'm one. I'm a Skelt 145. Oh my God, this is going to get crazy. I, I love it. I mean, look, I understand. I've been in Africa on small puddle jumpers where they really need to know your weight, and you get on that scale. And if it does, if the plane's too heavy, you're not going. I thank them for that. But this is—it's it, such a simple solution. Admit that we lie. Just admit it. We've been lying for 50 years. Admit that, you know, someone takes tells you that they take a large when they take a double XL. Admit it. We lie. Okay. So then take that ridiculous average that's been there since 1940 and move it up 50 pounds per person. And then you're, you're, you're no longer dealing with a safety issue. You're not embarrassing anybody because they're going to lie anyway. And then let them get on the plane. You do your weight and balance that way. Right? Hey, you know, I, I think, uh, I'm going to have to defer to the experts at the FAA, but it's going to be a little bit awkward at some airlines for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And you know what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. You weigh too much, so no cookie for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to get – I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm, I want to just share two words with the FAA, words that the FAA has not listened to for a while. Here it is. Here they come. Common sense. How about that? Common sense. You know what? If the FAA guy goes to check in for the plane, he's going to lie about his weight. So it's just what we do. My thanks to Gary, to Scott McCartney, and to Senators Markey and Blumenthal. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, get ready. There's a lot of it. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.
Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.